Today we're going to redo uh, the Kingdom of God series, Chapter 2, but I'm, uh, as you know, I wasn't thrilled with how Chapter 2 came out the first time, so I'm glad we're reviewing, and uh, it gives us a chance to maybe get a better recording of it. And I decided not to even try to do it in one week, so it's going to be Chapter 2A and Chapter 2B, and this centers around 12 statements that define the Kingdom of God. First, I want to give us a few introductory verses. Our theme verse for the whole series is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That would be the central goal of prayer in the Bible and the central goal of what we're supposed to be working toward as Christians. We are supposed to be working toward uh, our Heavenly Father's glory. Uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Uh, we are to, br to be bringing his reign, his kingdom, his nation, uh, his rulership into the earth. The rulership that uh, was transferred at the fall of man, where God, where Jesus calls three times in the, in the book of John, Jesus calls Satan the ruler, in small r, of this world, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. And so when someone comes under the kingdom of God, they're actually liberated from a kingdom of death, destruction, uh, and frankly, everything evil and, and uh, dis destructible. So, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven is our prayer, and it's our goal as Christians. Mark 1, 14 and 15, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That's from the New King James Version. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So he's calling each of you living stones and he's building you together. He didn't save you so you could have just an individual relationship with God. He called you to be part of a community of believers where you know what stones you're next to and what stones you're above and what stones you're below and and where you place uh, in a building that he's building to, to fill the building with his glory. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are now, whenever you're dealing with, uh, one of the reasons I like the New American Standard Version uh, not not only is it one of the three more literal equivalence versions that's that's available in English that, and in better translations than the dynamic equivalence versions, but also they give you this feature that when they're quoting from the Old Testament, they put it in small caps like this. So this is a direct quote from Exodus 19, 5 and 6. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's what he's calling you. That's what Peter is calling the Christians. He's writing, this is what's called a general epistle. He's writing it to all Christians. And he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that is a direct quote from Exodus 19, 5 and 6, the essence of the covenant that God made with the Israelites when he set them free from Egypt and began to build them into a nation and was, was uh, beginning to take them through his wilderness to give him his commandments and, and all the aspects of all the eight different aspects of, of the uh, of covenants, the old co covenant, 
which we will uh, review in chapter 3 of this series, that all covenants in the Bible have eight elements. And uh, so uh, when he's doing all that, here's the, here's the central verse of what God is doing. Now, therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the uh, people of Israel. Now, if you've uh, attended any of my Thursday night Bible studies, you know that uh, I uh, teach in terms of reading comprehension. Of course, I do that at 930 here as well that you always want to read what it's not saying. You want to read the reverse negative if, if you want to know what it is saying. And what it is saying that is if you indeed obey my voice, uh, then you will be a special people to me. And he, uh, the covenant is dependent on us having the, a kind of faith. The Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints are saved by faith working through grace but real faith working for grace causes you to love, follow, take up your cross, and obey. An abstract Christianity where you just pray uh, some kind of prayer to invite God into your life, and then you never really follow him, you never really love him, you're not, you don't grow in being conformed to his image. The Bible never uh, thought of that kind of Christianity. That's a relatively modern invention since the Civil War in American history. So, in fact, Jesus takes this same concept in Matthew 22. For three chapters, he has this dramatic confrontation with Israel, summing up all the prophets of the Old Testament. All their, every prophetic idea of the Old Testament comes crashing in through Jesus into Matthew 21, 22, and 23. And he says, uh, I am going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to a nation that produces the fruit thereof. And that sifting process, God is always doing. Uh, one of the assumptions people make because of American marketing is that if something is bigger, they must be doing something right. But that's not necessarily so, because you have to look at where it's going generationally uh, to really understand what God is, is, is doing in the midst of a people. But Jesus says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to a nation that produces the fruit thereof. He's saying that to us this morning. He's always saying that to his people. So with that in mind, those are some, some basic uh, scriptures about the kingdom, the ideas of which we'll, we will can, uh, stumble across as we read 12 statements that define the kingdom of God or then answer the question, what in God's earth is the kingdom of heaven? Again, many people, when you survey them, you say, what is the kingdom of heaven? They think it has to do with the next life or heaven or so forth. But in the Bible, it has to do with the kingdom of heaven uh, coming here and now in this earth. And so, uh, you know, again, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he said the, the time is now. It's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's at hand. And so um, here are... 12 statements that kind of paint a mosaic. I, these are not necessarily uh, build a, one statement building on another as much as is when you put them all 12 together, you'll see the kingdom uh, pretty fully. So please follow along. And, and uh, these would be things that would be good to, to at least come close to memorizing. These are things that I, that I use as guides to think about when I'm sharing the gospel, when I'm 
giving pastoral ministry, uh, whatever. It smells like onions in here. Is somebody cooking downstairs? Chili. Smells good. All right, so the the uh, the the fragrance of the Lord is filling the building. It's this time it's onions. All right, so um, number one, the kingdom of God is the reign, government, rulership, or dominion of God. It is the sphere or realm in which his good and perfect will is willingly enacted. That's a key word, willingly enacted. Not only as in heaven, but on the earth now. Now, what's important about this is that God owns and is completely sovereign all the earth, over all the earth. And therefore, even his enemies do his will. It is not in Satan's heart, nor his dominion, nor the world system's heart, nor is it in the heart of your, your fallen nature or your flesh to, to please God and do the will of God. Nevertheless, even those three enemies of God do his will. But we're talking about the kingdom of God is that reign or government or rulership or dominion of God. It's the sphere and realm in which his good and perfect will is willingly enacted. It's when God has changed your heart to want to follow, to want to please, to want to obey. Uh, Paul doesn't uh, talk about a theoretical gospel in Romans 1 and 15. He starts his gospel and ends his gospel with the phrase, the obedience of faith that he was given grace to, to proclaim among the Gentiles. Real faith produces a trust, a following, a clinging to, a relying on, that takes up your cross, that fishes for men, that follows Christ, that obeys him, that becomes part of his community people, uh, which is what every what church is supposed to be. A church is supposed to be a lot more than a see you on Sunday, but it's supposed to be a, a, a group of people who are in uh, in a family kind of relationship with God being their father, and they're really experiencing being brothers and sisters, and they have mission together. So, um, it, as you see, again, God completely is sovereign all the earth. Even even uh, his enemies do his will, but his enemies don't willingly do his will. And it's amazing that, you know, when Jesus told the parable, again, in Matthew 21, 22, and 23, in his dramatic confrontation, he, uh, he tells the parable about the... Uh, several parables he tells the vine owner and the and the uh, the vine growers. He sent one prophet after another, and they beat one and killed another and stoned another. And they finally he sent his son. And uh, um, it, he basically Jesus says these enemies of mine say we will not have this man rule over us. See whether you're really a Christian in the Bible is not so much whether you've gone to church, whether you've prayed a sinner's prayer. But whether it's it's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of light gives you grace to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said you cannot, uh, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You begin, when you're born again, you receive a new nature that can pursue, perceive the desirableness of having God be your king instead of you being your king. And those those people of God who are yet like Israel was in Jesus' day in their hearts saying, we will not have this man rule over us, are, are not his willing subjects. They haven't seen the advantage of his liberation. 
they still have some kind of deception in their mind or heart that if they're, that's what the serpent said to Eve, you shall be as God yourself, knowing good from evil. The essence of fallen man is to be a control freak, to run or run your life yourself. To set the boundaries of what you makes you happy and what you're going to pursue and who you're going to marry and what career you're going to do. And you, you, you are driving, you're the Lord. In, in, in the fallen heart. And you even are the Lord of what's right and wrong. So uh, only recipients of his reconciling and empowering grace are freed to participate in his redemptive restoration purposes, thus experiencing the obedience of faith or trust, which separates religion from reality. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says he transferred you from the dominion, which is a kingdom word, the domain of darkness, and into the kingdom of his beloved son. A person who's been transferred out of darkness, whose life has been saved out of eternal death and into eternal life, has a deep passion to want the king to reign over them. And they, they cry out for grace for that. Uh, none of us, because God leaves us with a sin nature so that we have to humble ourselves and we have to walk on the other side of the cross. None of us live in that perfectly. But as Paul calls it, you were when you received the gospel, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. A, a, a born-again Christian has something inside them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want more of God's reign in your life, and you're tired of being your own Lord because you've seen the consequences of doing it your way. And you're, you've been enlightened to see that the worst kind of bondage is to be able to do what you want, with whom you want, where you want, how you want, anytime you want. That's what the Bible calls slavery, because you actually are not actually doing what you want. If, if Christ is in you, if you're doing what you want, with whom you want, wherever you want, how you want, and you're not under any... Uh, any uh, restraints from scripture, the Holy Spirit, and the church, then that's the worst kind of slavery. And you become uh, unable to, to overcome those, those things that you think you want become tyrants causing you to be in bondage. And to, to be liberated through the cross is to be liberated to serve, to please God, to be humble, to walk in the power of his righteousness and have no claims of righteousness on your own. So that's uh, statement number one. The kingdom of God is the reign, government, rulership, or dominion of God. It's that sphere or realm in which his perfect will is willingly enacted. Those who receive his reconciling and power and grace are free to participate in his redemptive purposes. That's what separates religion from reality. Uh, Use that in your own life. Use that to separate uh, and cry out to God for real, intimate discipleship, relationship with God, not religion. We all have to pursue that. Two, the kingdom of God is both present and future. It's not primarily heaven or the age to come, but a breaking into this present evil age with the orders, with the power, order, spirit, and reign of the king now on earth. Now, this is really important. Um, almost all Christians since the beginning of church history have, have had a view of the kingdom that the kingdom is already here and it's not yet fully manifested. Um, 
well, I was going to mention the name George Sheldon Ladd. He's he's a guy who writes on the kingdom, and I read read a few of his books back in the eighties. But the, there's this he he uh, is very popular for for a, a thing that Christians have said through the centuries that the kingdom is already, but it's not yet. But um, if you study church history, one of the things you'll see is uh, when you study. Um, Oh, say, say um, the Moravian movement, which had a prayer meeting for a hundred years and sent missionaries out throughout the world. They they had a nonstop twenty four seven kind. That's where International House of Prayer got the idea from, by the way, from studying the Moravians. They had a nonstop twenty four seven prayer meeting that went on for a hundred or a hundred and one years, something like that. Can so. Uh, I think uh, IHOP's on like around 15 years. They got a ways to go, and uh, <laughs> hopefully they'll make it for 100 years. But they, the Moravians uh, released this flow of God's spirit into Europe through their prayers, and it was Moravian missionaries that converted John and Paul Wesley and uh, George Whitfield. Talk about having some impact on your ministry. Um, and uh, that came out of, a, of an, an idea that we are supposed to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now, that God wants to liberate the earth now. One of the things you'll find is that those groups, this is, has become the, the dominant theology in the last, since, especially since it kind of took over the Bible-believing church in America, 1890s to 1920s, and has been the dominant idea since then, is to place more emphasis on the kingdom's future. Uh, you pray a sinner's prayer, you hold on till you go to heaven. If God wasn't calling you into his kingdom to become a radical disciple, to plant churches, to fish for men, to, to disciple, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, then uh, we might as well just have altar calls and when people get prayed for, we might as well just shoot them. So there's, there will be no backsliders. But God has way more in mind than you pray to. I'm not going to get any laughs out of that. You should, you should laugh at that. <laughs> Courtesy laugh now. Okay. So, uh, no, really, if that's the mentality, if I'm, gonna, if I'm supposed to uh, pray to receive God, and then I go to church as a consumer of a Sunday morning meeting, and if I'm more radical, I might go to Sunday night, Wednesday night, or join a campus ministry or something. And my goal is to go to the meetings and be an attender instead of my goal being equipped, trained, memorizing scripture, building character, growing in the anointing of the spirit so that I can become a liberator. If that's not your goal, then you've got more, you've got modern religion. You don't have kingdom reality. God called you. Uh, to uh, in obedience of faith to be to enter into the ongoing mission of Christ and he's called some as apostles prophets evangelists shepherds teachers helps administrators he's called you to extend the kingdom and your life will never be free until it's no longer self-centered until you n don't take what you want in relationships and and uh vocation and even your approach to money none of it is is your graspy doing what you want all of it is an obedience to the king that's what the bible calls freedom because you're most free to be in in harmony with the calling he put on you and the nature you have so the kingdom is both present and future but 
those groups who by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, emphasize the present reality of the kingdom and focuses on, focus on today is the day of salvation have always been the more fruitful groups. One of the things we have to cry out to God for is liberate us from unbelief and natural mindedness and, sh and selfish thinking. Help us to believe uh, you know, there's been a couple guys lately that I've had sort of a Gideon talk with because the, the, the Lord sent an angel and, and he said to Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon was not thinking that about himself. When, when the angel said that, Gideon was like looking around for, I wonder who he's talking to. <laughs> hey, uh, are you aware that it's just you and me here and I'm hiding behind this rock <laughs> from the Midianites? Uh, <laughs> You know, you think you think Peter did a did a uh, you know in Luke five when he throws himself on the shore and says, "Jesus, you got the wrong man." Gideon is like, "You totally got the wrong guy here." <laughs> I'm, a, I'm kind of a coward to be honest, and and he was full of uh, things. You you often find this in in young men who haven't begun to step into the to uh, like First John says, "I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one." And he, he was like, well, I, I couldn't lead that guy to crowd. I couldn't confront that person about that. I couldn't. No, no, that's, that's the pastor's job. That's, you know, the, in the church today, we, we're full of this idea that my job is just to invite people to church and hope the professional people get them saved and delivered and healed and so forth. And I, it is important as part of your evangelistic ministry to get them on our turf. Because unless you're born out of water and the Spirit, unless you, unless you develop in an atmosphere of the Spirit, which is in the church, uh, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, but it's not your job just to get them to church and then hope the professional people take them aside and get them discipled and saved. It's your job. Learn how to, learn how to share the gospel under the anointing and power of the Spirit. Uh, the kingdom of God is present. And what God wants to set them free from the, the major idea among what they call millennials today is they value freedom because they have the perception that if I'm doing what I want with whom I want, wherever I want, sexually, financially, whatever, then I'm free and no one is telling me what to do. But in fact, their flesh and eventually demonic spirits and the world system is telling them who they are and what to do. You know, it's amazing how many people who are graspy for relationships and who are needy that I, that I work with in council uh, try to get that on Facebook and, and, and other places and, and, and try to get that even in the church, which is good to a degree, but, but you've got to become uh, less needy in the very presence of God. Spend time in the presence of God, reading his word, fellowshipping with him, repenting of sins, calling out for grace, uh, asking God to give you understanding of this or that, and your identity will become uh, like Christ, like the apostles. You will start thinking of yourself as the Lord's anointed, called of God to do what God wants you to do. And that's the ultimate liberation because that's what you were born for. And you'll never be at harmony with your nature until you start doing who you were meant to be. So people who have a present-minded view of the kingdom uh, always accomplish more for God. They're the ones that show up for prayer meetings. They're the ones that uh, memorize scripture. They're the ones that get, get uh, gifted at, at discipling.
and um, I don't have time for this, but just using Gideon as an example, not only was he full of unconfidence and fear and he so forth, but as he finally realized that it's me they're talking to, I'm supposed to be the mighty man of valor, and he began to step in by the Spirit into his calling and his identity, look for it. He had 10 specific things he had to overcome to become who God wanted him to be. Uh, do a Bible study and find those 10. So, and because uh, I've taught on it elsewhere, but that that was long before we did podcasts. So this, whether or not you could get Jordan to find you a copy back in the archives or not, I don't know. But you can find it for yourself. Just look in the scripture. And um, the kingdom is now, and God has amazing, mighty, powerful things that he wants to do. And those things should look like the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the, of the church in the book of Acts. That's the kind of Christianity that we must go toward always. We must admit we don't live there, but we must repent and, and really pursue being there now. Thirdly, God has eternally purposed to express his reign or his kingdom through a nation or a family. There's lots of metaphors in the Bible. A mountain of people, a temple of people, born of one regal head, in a time-space continuum. In other words, in what Paul calls in Galatians 1-4, this present evil age that he rescued us out of, he actually right in the midst of the present evil age wants to express his reign through a people who live above the present evil age and live by the grace of his resurrection. He sets a table before us, Psalm 23, in the midst of our enemies. I often hear young Christians praying, Lord, oh, get, take this problem out of my life and take that problem out of my life and so forth. And uh, what the truth is, is God wants you to reign in the midst of your enemies. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds all the more, grace abounds all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That's what I meant to say, all the more. Uh, he, he actually, you know, when we, when we take this communion every week, it's the high point of our worship because we are entering into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we are saying, um, by, by this, we are covenanting with God and with one another to go out and extend the, the implications of his death, burial, and resurrection in which he crushed Satan's head. Many scriptures point that out, Genesis 3.15, all the way through, you know, I, I saw Satan falling like lightning, Luke 9, Luke 10, etc. He crushed the enemy's head, and we are declaring that we are his people, and that we are the people of his resurrection. We are the people of his ascension. We are the people of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we are going to continue his ministry. He spent all of the Last Supper in John's account, John 13, 14, 15, and 16, telling the disciples what the Holy Spirit would do so that they could be a family or community of covenanted people together, empowered by his spirit, continuing his ministry. That's who, what we're here for this morning, not to go to church. God is eternally purposed to express his reign or his kingdom through a nation or a family or a city of God. Uh, lots of metaphors uh, of the kingdom. Uh, a people born of one regal head. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are born of God through Jesus Christ and those who are not. That's the real racial problem. And those who are not born of God 
do not like each other for any and every reason because they're at enmity with God, they're at enmity with each other, and they're at enmity with their fallen man because that's the essence of sin nature. No one talks about sin anymore, but sin is a bigger deal and a more powerful thing, and you totally cannot escape it without the salvation of Christ coming into your life. And the world is full of sinners. People are always coming to me and said, my sister did this and my brother did this. And I, well, how deep is their relationship with God? Well, they don't know God. Well, why are you uh, surprised when sinners act like sinners? <laughs> what I'm really a little surprised still about, but I try not to be too much, is, is when Christians act like sinners. Because only a Christian starts to have the grace to walk in the Bible, what the Bible says, no temptations overtaken you, 1 Corinthians 10. 13, but what is common to man, and God is faithful, who will give you a way of escape. He's not offering that to your atheist brother. And uh, like these guys that I live that live next to us in the dorm, they're always doing this and that and that other thing. Well, why would what would you expect of people who don't have Jesus Christ as the center of their passions and their love and their being? which is what you get when you're, really when you're really born again, you get a new heart and you become a new creation and you become a part of God's present people now, his nation, his community, his city of believers, and you want to see others liberated. The reason I'm always trying to get an appointment with people and try to disciple and so forth is because God, I got discipled starting in 1974 and my wife started in 1971, and God's given us a certain amount of grace where we're good at it. And in fact, that's a big point of spiritual warfare is, is uh, the enemy tries to keep people from these things. Listen to a CD that John did called Discipleship, Following Christ, 1 Corinthians 4. What the essence of what's going on in our culture right now is almost anyone who's under 35 years old has been brought up in a culture that in the 60s, you know, the, the bumper sticker question authority. And we've had a systematic Psalm 2, uh, why are the nations in an uproar? We don't want this man to rule. We, we live in a culture of do your own thing and of that what reality is, is what my perspectives on reality are. And how a person comes to Christ is when their perspectives of reality and their motivations and their drugs of choice and what, what they go to to try to find happiness and peace and so forth, when it becomes such a tangled mess that God can help them start to see that sin is utterly blind, deaf, dumb, and stupid, and it, it's killing you. It's giving you a, a lack of emotional integrity. You, can, you can't do relationships right. You, 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 you're, you're a broken, twisted uh, mess of bondages to many things. And that's when you're ready for grace. You, you know, for, in the first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can make no progress in reality Till you can stand up boldly at, at church and say, I'm really screwed up. And it's like, oh, good. Now you can become a member of God's kingdom. <laughs> you know, until you really see that you're, that you're actually bound up by your own sin, by demonic spirits, by the world's ways and values, and you are not living in harmony with how your God made you to be 
you have very little chance of ever living any life that's worth living. Let's go on. Fourth, the Bible reveals that his premeditated plan was always that his special treasure, that's a quote from Exodus 19, 5 and 6, that is the, the people for his own possession, also a quote from Exodus 19, 5 and 6 and 1 Peter 2, 9, would willingly enter into his death so that in dying his death, they might be reborn of one regal head. You know, one of the things that, one of the reasons why community and discipleship is so important is we have something in our sin nature that's avoiding the crosses God is sending us. God is sending you your own garden of Gethsemane every day. Not my will, but thy will be done. You have that every day. It's a gift from God. And on the other side of thy will be done is the life, the power, and the resurrection. And God will send you leaders in his church, elders, disciples, people like that, to help you see when you're really saying my will be done. Because the truth is that by the word alone and the spirit alone, none of us are really humble and repentant and won his reign enough to always choose it. So God has people, he has things called roommates. He has something called a wife. He has something called a pastor who will, that will, will hold your feet to the fire and, and, and cause you to say, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I need to humble myself here. I was too harsh on that person or whatever. Believe me, that's the ministry of my wife, John, Jason, Carla, sometimes Emily. Uh, uh, she's more softer spoken. And let's, but even Emily confronts me sometimes. Why? Because, because I'm a sinner first and a pastor second, <laughs> right? And uh, uh, you, we all need that. The Bible reveals that his premeditated plan was always that his special treasure, that is the people for his own possession, would willingly enter into his death. That's why we are in Christian community. That's the difference between people who don't want, who want to go see you on Sunday church and people who want a real biblical church. Is People who want a real biblical church are people who want to grow in Christ. Disciple me, teach me, uh, help me form my character. And I, I, have, I have bad news for you. The, the character that God is building is on the other side of you hanging on the cross. It's, it's on the other side of those dailies, not my will be done. Born of one regal head into his newness of resurrected life that enter now into his new kingdom creation. In other words, there's no true kingdom life on the wrong side of our daily crosses. Getting ahead of myself and preaching there. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, it's no long, um, I've been crucified with Christ, the first phrase. It's no longer I who live, but, the life, but, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this body, I live by trusting to, clinging to, relying on. That's what faith really means, not intellectual assent. Uh, Christ, who loved me and delivered himself for me. Can we say that, can, could Galatians 2.20 really be an accurate description of how, we, uh, of how we posture ourselves in life every day? I've been crucified with Christ. So wait, we don't have a lot of I wants, I want, I need, I want, I think, I feel. You know, those are all statements of people who are still there bound up under this deception of uh, that, that the Lord has allowed us to be born into called sin. 
And this sin says, I want, I feel, I think, I need, I, 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 oh, I praise my I, we, me, me, me. And, you know, and, uh, you know, there was an old Daffy Duck in, in, in um, Bugs Bunny cartoon, and uh, it was you know, the, it was kind of this whole episode about Daffy wanted something Bugs had, and he was going, mine, mine, mine. And the whole thing is about, you know, how easy it is for little kids to learn mine. We have a few uh, parents of young kids. I, I, I imagine if you interview them, they will say, yeah, my kid learned mine really ir- right about when they started learning to talk. And they actually made gestures about mine before they started to talk. But yours and sharing and would you like some? That took a little that took a little parental development. <laughs> right? That took the grace of God. We live in the culture of mine, mine, mine. There's no true kingdom life on the wrong side of our daily crosses. Um I wish I could bring out Hebrews 13, 20, the blood of the eternal covenant. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 12 says, so death works in us that life might work in you, etc." Romans 6 is all about the death of the cross and, and why and baptism, how it symbolizes that and so forth. Luke 22, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who have authority call them benefactors. One of the reasons I hate the TV Christianity is because the, the whole way it's been, is set up is you have to be a big-time self-promoter to succeed in that world. And that is the spirit of Babel. Let us make a name for ourselves. And I don't care how often they, it's the so-and-so and the so-and-so and the so-and-so. So many of the ministries are named after themselves. But you know what? God has called you to die to self. You're to be a Christ promoter. And that may not be near as popular. In fact, they killed Jesus for it, and that could happen to you. If you know, it's amazing how people don't see the radicalness of Christ and so forth. Throughout the centuries, most Christians have been opposed. We haven't like we've we've developed this hybrid thing in the last 125 years in America, where like we fit into our culture. And our culture fits into us, and we're not upsetting anybody too much, and we're not that radical, so they don't take us that serious. And nobody's out to kill you. You might have a few professors that want to mock you and so forth, and, and the general tone of our culture has become increasingly anti-Christian. But they're not trying to chop your head off. Some other groups are doing that. But uh, so... The real kingdom leadership is is it to be a servant. Fifthly, I got to move on because I'm running out of time. God's predestined purpose has always been and and still remains to produce a kingdom of priests. Guess what? You're called to be a kingdom of priests, born of born of and filled with and extending the manifest presence of the Spirit. You're supposed to be born of the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, and it's through you and I living together and evangelizing and discipling and worshiping and praying and proclaiming and going out there and preaching it. It's we are called to extend His reign. 
We're supposed to have a message, not like, would you mind praying the sinner's prayer because Jesus needs a few more friends, and if you accept him, you'll feel more, a little bit more accepted. You know, he's really got some rejection. <laughs> We're supposed to say Jesus is Lord, and that's the facts. And you can either get on the right side of history or the wrong side of history. You can either become his disciple and his follower and deny yourself, or you can become still a self-worshipper and be destroyed. Not just in when you die and go to hell, but your whole life will increasingly be conformed to destruction when you're the sinner. Things won't work. Now, what, uh, what people are adept at doing, because God made them in his image, uh, most people who don't know the Lord find some way to have some sort of coping life but they don't have any real life. They don't have any real reason worth living for. There is no reason to live outside of God. It's not even logical. You know, what's interesting is there's a philosophy called existentialism, which gave birth to a philosophy called nihilism. It's a type of existentialism. But existentialists say there is no God, and because we have this thing inside of us that says there ought to be a God and there ought to be a purpose, we're really mad at life because there's no purpose. And we are not about to submit to God just to find purpose. And the nihilists take existential one step further and say, so since there's no purpose and I'm mad, I'm going to kill as many people as I can before I kill myself. There's a lot of, you know, metal bands and stuff that are all about. That's their message. That's what they're about. And uh, yet, you know, we, we still listen to them. I don't know why. Uh... In other words, there's no true kingdom on the wrong side of the cross. I'm down to number five. Uh, together, God's predestined purpose has always been to remains to produce a kingdom of priests born of and filled with and extending the manifest presence of the Spirit. Together, we're to be God's temple built according to his pattern and overflowing with his glory in demonstrable ways. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and God in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Spirit is being made manifest, that's where the kingdom is being made manifest. 1 Corinthians 12 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you don't know God and you don't know which ends up or whatever, just cry out in all honesty and say, God, show me. Because the Holy Spirit came to, to set you free and to show you that Jesus is the Lord. I was an atheist and my first prayer uh, was actually on an acid trip when I thought I was about to die and I cried out and said, God, if you're real, you're going to have to show me. And if I'm living the wrong way, please show me. I completely forgot about that prayer until God started to answer it three or four months later. <laughs> and he, when he answered it, he came answering, knocking in a big way. He didn't go, if you're too, he, he went, hello. And I was like, what? Oh, okay, okay. I got it. Uh, help me repent. Together, we are to be God's temple, built according to his pattern. You know, we have all these Americanized models of marketing the church and so forth today, and they draw big crowds. But I want to get back to his pattern. Overflowing with his glory in demonstrable ways, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound thereof. Uh, in other words, you know, natural-minded people can't discern the Spirit, but they can see the manifestations of the Spirit. They can see when someone gets delivered from demons. They can see when someone gets healed. They may not know what's going on much, 
but they can at least see the outward manifestations, and that's why kingdom power has to be real. Now, uh, I want to end with this point today, and I, I, I want to say this. We are a church that believes in receiving an experience called being baptized in the Spirit. When you receive Christ and in, in you're born again and you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life in a regeneration way. Just like Jesus was born of the Spirit, and even as a baby and a boy, there was no time that he did, wasn't full of the Spirit. But when he presented himself to John's baptism and uh, get, getting ready for his public ministry, the Spirit came on him like a dove in baptizing power, in immersion power, and God affirmed him. When you get baptized in the Spirit, you'll get a deeper confidence in the things of the Lord because God speaks over you and says, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And you begin to, uh, you begin to experience that power of that intimate relationship as son or daughter of God and begin to get over the Gideon thing, who me, and begin to step into the, the empowerment of your destiny. Now, when that happens, Jesus was taken through the wilderness, and, and God will take you through times of temptation or whatever, but if you consider it all joy when you encounter various temptations and you learn how to walk in the power of his resurrection and learn how to be set free from walking in the power of your own wisdom and your own strength, uh, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. Don't trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. As you, as you do that, you get empowered uh, to be a people of, of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit came to, to do miracles, to set people free, and so forth. Now, we live in a time of great unbelief. Jesus was not able to do many miracles in his hometown because of his unbelief. We, I would, I'm appealing to those of you who've been baptized in the Spirit. I, one of the things I think we've got to start getting a hold of is that's a beginning stepping stone into the power of the Spirit, whereby you're supposed to come out of, of the, in the power of the Spirit and begin to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand and start making disciples and being a part of God's kingdom, redemptive community. So that is something that we uh, are making a little progress in, but I would encourage you to make lots of progress in. I'm thankful that some people are starting to step out in the gift of prophecy on Friday nights which is when we have ordained that people should prophesy and so forth, because it's the, the gift of prophecy is one, is one of the easiest gifts of the Spirit to begin to start to move in. Then the, the discerning of spirits and words of knowledge and words of wisdom, we need these things flowing. And it's one thing, this is a deception that all young people fall into, and I'm still young, is that because we see and understand some things, that we are something. What you see and understand is just supposed to inform your journey. But you need to, what we are, uh, as I said Friday night in Revelation, Jesus commended one church and he said, because you have a little power. We are a, a people that have a few people baptized in the spirit. We, there are still some that need that. We are a people that um, has some anointing, but God wants you to whatever it takes, fasting, prayer, uh, uh, talk, you know, the sons of the prophets uh, walked with prophets. So if people are moving in the gifts of the spirit and they cast out demons or they heal the sick or they prophesy, ask them, how do I grow in that? Had a, a guy asked me a few questions about prophecy yesterday and, uh, and I'm it, awesome. 
So I want to I want to recommend these two books. As you know, we always we have a recommended foundational book list. We have an intermediate book list. These two books are on it. And each year we try to emphasize one or two books that are the main books we'd like to focus on. So if you've been at Grace Christian Fellowship a year or two and you haven't read these books, then you're not really kind of in step with uh, where we're going. You took a wrong turn on your journey. Read these books. They will help you get started in the realm of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you actually contains some things about the gospel. It contains a lot about why you can't mix the gospel with witchcraft and astrology and all kinds of demonic uh, false religions. Then it goes on to teach about being baptized in the Spirit. Then it teaches how to step into all the gifts of the Spirit. It's actually used by some uh, charismatic universities like Oral Roberts University. It's their textbook on the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, when Heaven Invades Earth, A Practical Guide to, to a Life, uh, I, that's a typo on my part, I can see, to a, it's supposed to be to a life of miracles, <laughs> uh, by Bill Johnson. Uh, I'd encourage you to get these books, okay? So I'm way past the time, but if you, if you heard what I said in point five, I, I kind of needed to land on a stopping point. If you heard what I said in point five, I it's one thing that we believe in the power of the Spirit, and we believe in, in, in a second experience called being baptized in spirit. We are glad we have all kinds of studies that we've spent years putting together to, to help you know about that. But go from there into walking in the power of the kingdom here and now. Amen.